yeah, don't give up. Add value. Stay at it. Be in that sales office. Be wear your shirt with your your company name on it. You know, put some put some stuff out there for people to consume, and uh, just be there. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Sweet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela. I'm here with Rodney Fentress from Key Rancher Hampton Roads. Rodney, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Rodney, I want to go all over the place today, talk okay. about your background, what you're doing today, but sure. I really want to hear how you got in the business. Uh, what's, your, what's your background? <laughs> so I'm a retired police sergeant, and uh, I, I was that guy that grew up wanting to be the hero. Um I realized at about 32 years old, however, that I'd set the uh, set my goals way too low because when I'd accomplished all of them, I'm like, okay, well, I'm still fairly young. What do I do now? Uh, unfortunately, uh, not too long after that, I went through a pretty bad divorce, and that was a real inflection point in life. Um, it put me in a situation where I needed to do something different. It caused me to really look at what my personal values were and uh, how I wanted you know, my life to play out. Uh, it also put me in a pretty bad financial situation, unfortunately. And uh, I needed to make some money and make it fast. So I, I, after about a year pity party, I uh, <laughs> kind of pulled my, my pants up and, and, and started acting like a big boy and uh, realized that, you know, I, I kind of just did some reading and studying about wealth and realized that most of the people that were uh, wealthy, real estate always came up. So I had done a little bit of investing. And by investing, I mean, I would buy a house. I would live in it for a couple of years. I'd run up a bunch of debt. And I always knew I could sell my house and pay off that debt. And uh, that's what I'd been doing until I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, you know, around that time where, where everything started going south with real estate, you know, I tried to sell a house and realized I didn't have as much equity as I thought and uh, kind of had a reposition that unfortunately kind of coincided with that divorce and, and things that I was going through. So um, but my study of, of wealth still brought me back to real estate, decided to get licensed. Uh, I was very fortunate that uh, some, some buddies of mine had already done that. And they invited me to join a small local brokerage in Hampton Roads. And it was a great move because I learned a lot of what not to do. Uh, but I also met some, some really integral people that, um, that, that's, are still in my life and really kind of showed me the way. So, you know, I, I started selling real estate and, uh, funny story, but I started in 2013. I got my first listing at, uh, on a Thursday when I, same day I got my license, as a matter of fact. Uh, I held a open house at that listing on that following Sunday. One person came. He brought his agent with him, talked to that guy. He ended up firing his agent the Monday <clears throat> Monday after and hiring me. And I did four deals with that guy that year. Wow. Yeah. So it was a it was a great start. I mean, for someone that didn't know what they were doing, faking it till the you know, until I made it. Um, it was a great start. But I actually made a statement at our company Christmas party that year. Uh <clears throat> the top agent at that brokerage. Um, and I'm not going to mention her name. She's still there. She still sells a lot of real estate. She's a great lady. But um, the broker had the numbers in the mailroom. So every time you go in and make a copy or something, you'd see what everybody was doing. And I'm kind of a competitive guy. So I would see her name at the top and I'd be like, ah, that, that needs to be me. I made the statement at our Christmas party that next year I was going to sell more real estate than everyone there. And everybody laughed. But by May of 2014, they weren't laughing anymore. So... That was my start in real estate. During that time, I was helping a investor buy some homes. 
and um, he bought a three unit apartment on the uh, on the water in Norfolk, really prime spot in a place called Willoughby Spit. He bought it. He was an out of town investor. He wanted to keep the top floor for himself because the view was incredible, but he wanted to keep the bottom two rented out. So he's like, look, you know, we're going to get this deal together. Uh, thank you for helping me with this, but I need you to manage the two rentals. I didn't know if I could even do property management, you know, at the brokerage I was at. Uh, I didn't know how to do property management, but I'm always the guy that just kind of says yes and figures it out. So after saying yes to Tim, uh, you know, I, I, I would get more people asking. And before I knew it, I had five, 10, 25 doors. And at that point, it started getting painful. And uh, I kind of got to the point where I, I had to either you know get all the way in or get out because it was just it was getting too painful. Uh, I always listen to podcasts. And, and my second favorite besides yours is, is Real Estate Rockstars with Pat Hyben. And I was listening to uh, that podcast one morning, uh, driving to actually handle some property management business. And um, it was Aaron Marshall's second episode, Aaron Marshall from Keyrunner, who has unfortunately since passed. But um, it was as if Aaron was just sitting in my truck talking to me and, and kind of answering all of my pain points with property management. And um, yeah, I reached out to Aaron after the after the podcast and, and liked what I heard and decided to eventually fly out to Salt Lake and speak with the guys there and, and decided to join Key Runner. And it helped me become a professional very quickly. I mean, at the time I joined Key Runner, I had 29 doors. And like I said, I was not I was not conducting myself in a professional manner. I was just kind of hoping nothing bad happens and, and, you know, wondering if I would be able to figure it out when it did. Joining Key Renter skyrocketed me. It really gave me a lot of professionalism. They had an answer for everything. Um, strong community. I went from 29 doors to 174, like, like that. I mean, just, it was incredible. So it's been a great fit so far. I know that was a long-winded answer to your question, but I, I tend to be a talker, so. <laughs> All right, so that's the background. That's how you get into it yeah. and transition to today. The yeah. number count has changed, but really, I think what I want to understand most is how your view of the business and what you're doing has changed. What's been the shift in your mindset and your thinking from 29 doors to 174? Yeah, so we're actually at 123 now. Like everyone else, over the last couple of years, a lot of uh, a lot of owners have sold. Um, we also ditched a, uh, a large portfolio that I brought on that I was advised not to, but uh, it was a 38-unit apartment building that, um, you know, lower rent, uh, a lot of low rent type problems. Um, we managed it for about a year and a half, and I, I really aggressively went after that that deal. The uh, It was a new deal for that buyer, they were a new area for them. And uh, they found us and, you know, we had great conversations and I, I thought that we were more aligned than we were, but turns out uh, we weren't aligned as far as maintenance and things of that nature. So it, it wasn't a good fit, but um, we're down to 123 now. And what I've come to find is that, you know, kind of my, my natural plateau, my natural ability got me to that 174, you know, it was just, just me. Um, now where we're at, I've come to realize I've actually got to do some things to build this business and I've got to get more engaged on the marketing side. And, and uh, one of the big struggles for me over the years has been, you know, thinking that I could write a check to uh, solve take, the problem. Take, yeah, to take the place of my own efforts. And uh, I've, I've made many attempts at doing that and have come to realize that I've got to get in the trenches and make it work myself. Um, my mindset towards the business, I'm really optimistic. I'm building this property management firm to be kind of my legacy business. I do still sell a, real, a lot of real estate and um, one of the top agents in Hampton Roads. And I have kind of morphed that into working more with investors that are buying properties to then give to us for management. That's really my focus. Um, I am 
kind of uh, at a point now where, like I said, I, I know I've got to get in the trenches on the marketing side. I have recently brought on a BDM. And unfortunately, due to some website changes, um, our inbound lead flow really kind of shut down right after I brought that guy on. So, you know, that was a that was a tough pill to swallow. Also, I've since engaged uh, Upkeep Media and uh, working on the website, working on uh, building more inbound, but also uh, having him do some outbound prospecting as well. Amen. Love that. So in terms of your perspective on size, where you want to get to, what's the goal here? You want to get to, to build a, a large organization? Do you want to have something that's smaller, efficient, profitable? Let's talk about like the kind of playbook that you yeah. see yourself as running right now. That has changed so many times, Jordan. I tell you, early on, I saw it as kind of a 500 door. Uh, you know, I, I was into the sexy metric, the door count, mm-hmm. which everybody is. Uh, over the years, like most professionals in this business, we've we've started to focus more on revenue per unit. I actually, even though door count is lower, we have increased revenue fairly significantly you know, through working with Profit Coach and, and just you know making some subtle subtle changes. What I would like to see, I am 50 years old. And my youngest is 12. Uh, they know that once I'm done with kind of the hands-on in-house parenting, daddy's moving to Florida. So in these next few years, until that occurs in 2028, I want to build Kieran of Hampton Roads up to a place where I don't know that door count is really my big thing. It's more revenue. And I also just want it to be a client profile that is committed to us and understands the value proposition. Look, we're not the cheapest. Um, and we don't want to be, but, um, I don't really have a, a, a door count per se. I kind of envision my middle son who's 16, perhaps getting into a place where he's, you know, involved with this and can kind of take it forward. I just want it to be something that is sustainable and that continues to pay me into my old age and continues to help take care of my family and take care of the clients that we serve. When you say more focused on revenue rather than door count, I assume it's a proxy for actually saying profit. Let's talk about both sides of that coin. Where is your revenue per unit at today? We are at 268 right now. What was your starting point when you started paying attention to that Uh, number? 140, 150. I mean, it was, it was miserable. And, and, you know, to go all the way back to the beginning, you talk about starting point. One of the big revelations that I had, you know, getting from being the residential real estate a sales guy that does some property management on the side to becoming a professional property manager. One of the big things that Aaron said in that podcast was that your management fee should only account for about 50% of your total revenue. And when he said that, I was like, well, where the hell is the rest of it coming from? I know now, but those are the things that, that um, I want to be able to provide. And with that, I want it to be a win-win. I don't want to just add a fee to add a fee. I want there to be some value you know, derived from that fee that also increases profit. So what are the specific, let's walk through some specific sure. programs that allowed you to add, it sounds like more than a hundred dollars of RPU. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty big deal. It's a big jump. It is. It is. And there's a shift in the industry towards more tenant facing fees, mm-hmm. but also again, providing value for those fees. So we were giving away a lot of services to tenants, you know, the verifications of rent and and just any action that required us to do something. We have monetized a lot of those now. Um, we added a, uh, a lease renewal fee for tenants, which is equivalent to our lease initiation fee. But I mean, that that item alone added a lot to the bottom line. That was a big one. 
the the untapped frontier, the, the place that I've not gone yet. And that's one of the things that I've gotten from this conference so far is I really need to dive into the maintenance and maintenance is a, a constant struggle. And for all of us, uh, for us, we actually had a full time maintenance coordinator up until about three weeks ago. He had a significant medical medical event. And he has he's out now and he is probably going to be down for about six months. So now I'm in a position where we're really having to pivot on that and hearing some of the speakers that I've heard over the past two days. Uh, it's it's been somewhat thought provoking. I, I, I have not monetized maintenance at all yet. Uh, a lot of our vendors are buddies of mine that have been, you know, doing a great job for us. Uh, we tend to focus on kind of the smaller company, the, the sub tra- subcontractor type guy. You know, we call them, you know, Chuck in a truck, Dan in a van kind of guy. Um, those guys are great technicians, but typically don't have a lot of business acumen, mm-hmm. but they do a great job for us and they've been responsive. So I've not added, added any extra, you know, fees or anything to them. Um, there's also the thought of uh, starting a, a maintenance division in house, which, you know, there's a strong argument on both sides of that equation. I did start a company to do that. I never built that company out, but I'm leaning towards going in that direction now. Um, but you know, specifics, it's just been, look, I was, I had a mindset issue around the leasing fee. If starting off, you know, I was, uh, 10% leasing fee and 10% management fee and that was it. So, you know, once I joined Kieran and heard what some of the other folks are doing, you know, full months rent for, for leasing fee, I just thought, man, there's no way I can do that. So I incrementally, uh, increased that, you know, I, I jumped it up to 295 and I was like, oh my God, no one's gonna, no one's gonna hire us. And, and everybody did. Um, then I moved it up to 595 and I'm like, oh my God, nobody, everyone's going to say no. Nobody did. So now we're at, you know, 75% of first month's rent, which is still below some of our competitors, but it allows us to, to provide more services because that revenue is then used to, to provide a better service. And we really don't get much pushback from it. So that's been a great move. Just, I can't say that we've added a whole lot of new revenue, uh, opportunities, but we have increased some of the ones that we were doing before. Did you go back and raise fees on any existing clients? That's always the interesting question. And yes, we did. And I'm sure the next question would be, you know, what, what type of pushback do we lose any? Uh, and yes, honestly, we did. And um, that time frame was really interesting because I guess I felt like I had more buy-in and, and commitment from some of these folks and, you know, Every, the cost of everything has increased. So the cost of our services, it's reasonable to assume it would increase also. A lot of people really showed who they were during those times. And, and I, not a lot. I, I would say a small handful of clients did show that they weren't as committed to us as I thought they were. As a percentage, what, what are we talking about? Very small, less than five. Hmm. Yeah. And and honestly, I, I would say probably less than five people, <laughs> not even just percentage, but yes, it, less than five. But some of those conversations of that five were really extreme. I was surprised by that. Really? Oh, yeah. Folks just agitated. Big time. Big time. Uh, you're robbing us. You know, just, yeah. Wow. That's interesting. That is uh, that is not what I- It was unexpected for me as well. Most commonly here, yeah. So I'd say, A, that's not the norm. B, the in terms of how that conversation and that, dy- that, that dynamic went, at the end of the day, this is a numbers game. So did yeah. you have any- any regrets after having done that, even in light of those very direct conversations? I think the regret was, the regret was not doing it sooner. <laughs> and again, so one of those clients had three properties with us, and we she had she was one of my original five. 
So she was used to receiving a lot of personal service, a lot of, you know, direct from me type behavior. And, you know, once we added staff and, and added protocols and, hey, don't call Rodney anymore. Use our clients at KeeringHamptonRoads.com email address for all communication. You know, there was some pushback on that. And then when prices rose as a result as well, there was a lot of pushback. And, and just, again, some of these folks really showed who they were and they're not people we want to be in business with. So when I said earlier, you know, my, my vision is sustainable revenue, um, you know, client base that is engaged with us and has buy-in. Um, that's what I'm talking about. I want to work for people that know, like, and trust us and that we know, like, and trust. And, and that makes the work day so much better. You know, at the end of the day, I've, I've made a lot of money in real estate and I'm, I'm very blessed with that. I've, you know, to some degree, I've, I've overachieved from, from my starting point to where I am now. So it's not, everything is not a money decision. Sometimes it's just a feel decision. You know, I want to work with and, and work around people that, that feel good and that are made to feel good by working with us. Absolutely. It's a sustainability working with good people. You feel good about it. You feel able to fully lean into delivering a great quality product. Let's translate this into the bottom line for somebody that maybe is smaller. They're thinking about getting into property management. They're looking at where you're at. And in terms of the door door count, they're thinking, you know what, with some, some effort and some hustle, I could probably get there. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to a thousand doors, but I could probably get to 143, but will I make any money? Can you make yeah. any money at that quality and level of scale? Talk to me about yeah. your views around what kind of cash a property management business can kick off. Yeah. The, the short answer is yes, absolutely. You know, this uh, draws me back to some of my conversations with Danny on, on direct labor efficiency ratio. I'm a little fat on that. Um, but is my business profitable? Yes. It was profitable before we made the uh, the changes as far as increasing some of the fees and, and adding a few more. Uh, but it's it's really profitable now. I don't take a direct salary from it because my money comes from from selling selling homes. Um, but the money's there. So yeah, I know the thought there is, you know, if the if the CEO or if the uh, the owner operator is not taking a salary, how much is the business really worth? The money is there for me to take one. I'm just not doing it just at the moment. Um, how much money can someone make at this at this, you know, moderate uh, door count. What kind of profit margins do, in your mind is the business capable of? 20 to 40. 20 to 40. Easy. I mean, it, if you're keeping labor down now, you know, even with a reasonable owner or CEO salary, 20 to 40%. Where's your DLER right now? We're somewhere around four. When what? A, that's a strong DLER. And B, when you say it's fat, do you aspire to push that, that number higher? So... Again, this maintenance thing, I'm considering bringing it in-house, and I already know the conversation I'm going to have when I, when I, when I say that with, uh, with Danny. But um, yes, I've got to get more labor. Look, I don't, I've been very fortunate since having that maintenance coordinator, and, and we've got a property manager, and just brought on a BDM, which was another, another when we haven't even had the DLER um, conversation since bringing Donovan on. But um, I haven't had much of an operational role in the business in, in like a year. You know, I have to make a decision every now and then and send an email or two, but I've not been engaged in actively dealing with vendors, tenants or or owners at a high level. I mean, every now and then I swoop in and do something, but I have not had a, a, a really consistent operational role. Uh, the My staff has allowed me to do that. I'm having to get a little bit more back in now with with, you know, with the uh, maintenance coordinator being out. 
But um, yeah, I want to I want to own a business, not a job. So and it's possible to do that even at this door count. Absolutely. So you have this vision of moving to Florida that obviously is going to be a forcing function to require yes. you to yes. figure that out. How do you plan on navigating not being present? Obviously been done before other people yeah. doing it, but it's less common to be, yeah. to have that kind of distance. Sure. What kind of infrastructure do you think you need to have in place to be able to make that jump? So we're very fortunate. We've become kind of a, a zoom world and a, a global marketplace. And, you know, I've been, uh, on zoom meetings with, with people, with you all over the country. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that I would never come back to Virginia either. I've got family there. And again, my, hopefully my 16 year old develops some work ethic at some point and, uh, is in a position where he can help to run the thing. But I see myself in kind of a consultative role, uh, even from Florida. And I'm sure there'll be times when I come back to that. I'll have to do something, but I just, Again, I don't have much of an operational role now, and I would like to see that be even less. I would like to get to the point, and I've, I'm somewhat there. About two months ago, I was walking through the office, and a couple of staff was, was in there talking, and they were talking about a scenario. And I went in my office, and I was just there to pick something up real quick, and I could hear them talking. And so I interjected. I'm like, hey, why don't you just do X? And they're like, nah, we've already done that. We're, we're working on it. And so they continued to talk about it, and I, I was still hearing it, and I tried to jump in again and, and make a suggestion and, and they looked at me like, dude, what are you, what are you even talking about? We've got this. That's what I want. Confidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, same day, a tenant walked in the office and didn't know who I was. That's like Christmas and my birthday all wrapped into one. So I think that that's possible at a higher, higher scale, higher level. Um, what I envision for by the time I get to that point is somewhere between 350 and 400 doors, just based on the revenue that that we've forecasted out that we would need to facilitate some of the things that I want to occur. And again, I, I want to get a check each month from this business, and and you know the size of that check will be co- contingent upon you know incoming revenue, and, and door count obviously is a, a big driver of that. The uh, the way this community gives, oh, I love it. It's really thrilling. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it's and the thing is like it's not hard. No. Giving is easy and it's really impactful, but it's got to be two-sided. It's got to be reciprocated. And exactly. this, this community reciprocates. Exactly. And I, I asked Mark, I said, hey, did you get the gift I sent you? He's like, no. And I'm like, dude, have you been to your office the past couple of weeks? I just sent him a Yeti the other day. I'm like, dude, go to your office. But yeah, it's um, it's a very giving community. I just met the guy from uh, PMI Richmond, Ralph uh, Harrard or something like that yesterday. And he invited me to an event. Weird. Yes. PM Syndication Summit. Yes. I'm going to be there. You should go. Yeah. Well, he invited me. So, yeah. And he's like, look, you're going to be in enemy ter- territory. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm coming to learn. I don't, <laughs> I'm good with that. That's funny. Talk to me a little bit about the, the brokerage function. Yeah. You have that background. So yeah. Some folks don't, they're PM first, they're, hes- yeah. they're hesitant. Some folks will say, well, I don't do brokerage and therefore it's my advantage. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the pairing of the two? What yeah. kind of revenue does brokerage kick off oh, that is man. derivative of PM for you? Yeah. So it's a great symbiotic <clears throat> relationship, I think. And, um, one of my, I guess, mindset concerns or fears getting into this was that I do still sell and I am, you know, I, I was concerned about what I get the, the realtor referrals. What I found is that, yes, I did. So I was very active and I still am pretty active in our local realtor association. Uh, I was actually vice chair last year for the property management and leasing council. So I've taught some classes. I've, I've helped to mentor some agents. And, you know, the fact that I've given in that way, I've found that they've been willing to give back. 
So um, I think it's a great, great symbiotic relationship. I understand the mindset of, you know, I don't want to sell, you know, it, it's a different, it's a different skill set. There's no question. Um, I no longer outbound prospect for sales uh, for, for the average, you know, buyer seller. I do prospect for investors that are looking to buy a portfolio or to add to their portfolio so that we can get the management agreement. Um, but I think it's a great, it's a great look. You, know, you asked about revenue. Incredibly, both of my businesses kick off about the same amount of revenue. And, you know, I've got, I've got five agents on my, in my brokerage, not a team, all five individual agents. One of them is my wife. And, you know, they all sell. I, I help to guide and support those folks. Um, most of our production is me. I did 49 deals last year for about 12 and a half million. And, um, it was a really, really good year. A lot of those were investors buying properties for us to manage though. So, um, that's been a great, great look. And, and I just, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy, especially now that it's gotten so challenging. I mean, it's great on the seller side. You just, you know, trying to pick the, a, Price that's high enough to to you know net well for your sellers, but not so high that you'll turn off turn off buyers. But and now it doesn't seem to matter. But uh, working with buyers on the buyer side has really gotten competitive. We've lost deals, you know, all cash, non contingent offers, well above asking, and we're still losing them. I mean, it's it's been really challenging. But being out there in that world, you know, I'm I'm seeing what's available for investors. I'm engaged in the process. Um, I think. You know, brokerage and and property management are truly symbiotic. And, you know, one of the speakers talked about uh, kind of capturing and, and, and owning the inventory. You know, I've got owners that have bought and uh, weren't able to sell the accidental landlord. And then we've managed the property for them for years. And then when it's time to for them to sell, you know, who are they coming to? Who, who, who are they telling first? It's me. So I've been able to sell some of those properties to other investors. I've been able to buy some myself. And the, those that didn't fit for that, we put them on the market and we make some revenue on that. So it's just been great. And, and to all the operators out there that are, you know, hands off on sales, I would say if you're not willing to do it yourself, at least get someone that you have maybe in-house or a really close direct relationship with that can handle that for you and that you're committed to. It's got to be a two-way giving, you know, relationship, but try to try to make sure that you, you capture that. I mean, too many people are letting so much revenue go. Tell me more. How would you structure that? Specifically, they don't want to do it themselves. Yeah. Fine, whatever. They size, scale, time, focus. Yep. How specifically would you go about bringing someone either in, either on staff or in a referral relationship yeah. to maximize that opportunity? Yeah, that's one of the um, one of the things that I've helped to kind of train some other property managers to do. Look, you gotta you gotta find a way to add value. And so what I what I think about that is, look, a lot of residential resale agents consider property management to be trash and and you want to be the trash can they want to put it in. So um, here's how you do that. Get into their office, try to attend a sales meeting, bring some donuts, bring some bagels, whatever. The first time, don't ask to say anything, but just be there. Hey, I'm here. If anyone has any property management questions, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to facilitate those questions. Um, oftentimes these offices will have an affiliate relationship already. So you have to tread lightly on that, but just try to get in and give value. Look, I've, I've taught some classes at the, at the Realtor Association and, and, you know, being in, out in front of the room, you, you get some, you, you get some eyeballs on you and, you know, people inevitably will come up to you after and, Hey, you know, can I get your card? Can I call you? Can I talk about this? Whatever. Just give value wherever you can, you know, whether it's going into a sales office, going into the Real, Realtors Association, 
just be the trash can that they want to put that trash in. But you also have to convince them and you have to show them that you're going to be giving to them also. You're going to have to send them some referrals. You're going to have to also make sure that if they give you a referral, you get to manage it for a few years. When that person decides they want to sell, you got to go back to them. And that's been a challenge also. I've had some clients where you know, agents have sent me a deal. We've managed it for years. And then at the end, they decide they want to sell. And okay, we got to go back to the agent. I've had some of them say, hey, well, we've been dealing with you for all this time. Why do we have to go back to them? And so you explain that to them. And I did have one that said, you know, I, I didn't even really know that agent all that well. I've developed this relationship with you. I want you to sell it. So at that point, you go back to the agent and say, look, you know, you're about to get a 30% referral fee. Are you good with that? And in most cases. For no work. For no work. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. But again, so the, the short answer is to just add value where you can and be intentional about it. Um, so many people, you know, they'll try something for a little bit. Uh, that doesn't work. And they'll come back, try something else. Uh, that doesn't work. Most efforts in this business, you got to give a year to it to be able to really monitor any type of positive results from it. And just, yeah, don't give up. Add value. Stay at it. Be in that sales office. Be, wear your shirt with your, your company name on it. You know, put some, put some stuff out there for people to consume and uh, just be there. We all have these Facebook groups also in, in our areas with, with realtors on them. Just be where they are and give them value. It's, it's really quite simple, but be consistent. Rodney, how do you think your law enforcement background has served you uh, in the yeah. industry? <laughs> so um, I think it's been great. And, you know, when I originally branded myself for the sales side, I had a buddy of mine do a logo. And my logo is actually a shield with my initials on it. And, you know, he he kind of framed that as, you know, you've been making people feel safe for years. And, and I think that that's what people feel when they work with you. And so early on, I, I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't really know what the heck I was doing, but I was, I was good at faking it. I, you know, I had the BMW and the nice clothes and looked like I knew what I was doing. So, um, but I think that the one thing that I was able to deliver is people felt safe. They felt cared for. They felt like this guy's got my back. So that's the thing that I try to deliver. And it's funny. Um, one of my, well, actually two of my agents are past clients. And at our recent sales meeting, you know, we were talking, we're deep in the weeds on some numbers. And I said, look, guys, at the end of the day, people don't remember what the interest rate was or, or that you negotiated a $5,000, this or that. They remember years later how you made them feel. And I turned to one of them and I said, hey, you bought your house a few years ago with me. How did you feel? And, and she was like, yeah, I felt safe and felt like you, you, you took care of me. And I turned to the other one. I was like, how about you? He's like, I didn't even read the contract when you sent it to me. I just signed it. Trust. So I think people feel like working with me that, you know, they're safe, that I care, um, that I'm going to be there. I'm not, uh, they're not just a number to me. And that's, that's really important to me. I want people to feel like they're working with someone that, that cares and that's, that's truly got their back. What was one of the crazier things that you saw as a police officer? Oh, man. So I wasn't the pull you over and give you a speeding ticket guy. I uh, I did all the cool guy stuff. And um, I was very fortunate. Yeah, I spent five years on the SWAT team and I spent some time in K-9 uh, as a K-9 operator. And I had the craziest dog in the unit at the time. And um, I mean, I've seen it all. And I don't want to get too too dark and, and whatnot on your, on your podcast. But I got to do a lot of really cool things. And what I what I found, though, one of the things that really struck me in a lot of those moments, you know, we, we would hit a drug house and, you know, there'd be all kinds of bad things going on there. 
but there'd be some little two-year-old in the corner playing with, with toys. And it's like, all right, let's take the mask off, take the helmet off, sit down and play for a little bit with this kid and have that opportunity to have that impact. And, you know, I haven't spoken to any of those people. And that was, of course, years ago. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that in some of that that I did, one of those kids says, you know what, I remember that one guy. I want to be like that guy, you know? That that would be really cool. But I mean, as far as funny stuff, I mean, you know, working working a canine and, and having people hide um, and hide in really interesting places. Uh, but you can't hide from the nose of that dog. So I had a lot of fun in that role. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you still have any um, dogs now? So I have a pet now. But so my time in canine was so long ago. Actually, my my one partner went on to another handler. He passed a year ago, so neither of the two dogs that I worked are still alive. It's been a while. So when you made that transition from law enforcement over to property management, you're going into a really kind of way of thinking, different orientation, different set of priorities. Um, the path that you're on now, there's really kind of an inflection point. There's an axiom, which is, do you want to build an organization? Do you want to do this on a solo basis? How do you relate to that? decision and what do you feel like have been the biggest challenges thus far and kind yeah. of making that crossing that chasm? So let me put some color to that. So I started in real estate in 2013. I retired from the police department in 2017. So I had four years of, uh, of actively selling and doing property management while still on the police department. And it was a great, that transition period was great for me because, you know, I knew, look, I, I was making double or triple from my business, <clears throat> you know, uh, compared to what I was making on the police department. So it just really little things that occurred didn't bother me as much, you know, and I, I made it clear to my supervisors a couple times, Hey, this has become a part-time job. So you know, I'm going to be here at my convenience. And that's, that's pretty much how that's going to work. Um, short answer to your question is I want to build an organization that, um, that reflects my values but provides a service at a level that, that I want it to be provided at. I don't want to own a job. I want to own a business. And um, having the background that I've got and, and being in a, and I'm a former Marine also. So, you know, being in a, in Hampton roads, a, a heavily military uh, influenced area, I'm able to speak that language with people. And um, yeah, we're just in a great spot. Um, and we have a great, we provide a great service and we've got great people. To get to the challenge thing, though, the biggest challenge has been me. Look, I've got to be a better leader. I have not, I've not, I've underperformed in certain regards on that. And I, I own it. Um, I said I've made quite a bit of money and there are times that I get a little comfortable. You know, I've got a, got a new boat. I've got, I've got a lot of cool stuff. And sometimes I just want to play. Um, and I think I've earned that, that ability, but probably a little out, out of balance at times. I've got to get back in the trenches again. I've, I've tried to write a check and solve problems and that has not worked consistently. So uh, 2022 for me is getting back in the trenches on certain things and, and ramping this thing up so that it is an organization that functions without me, but because of me. So that that's the goal there. Every entrepreneur has a hard skill. I think they're really good at, and every entrepreneur has a guilty pleasure, something that is not value added, but they enjoy doing I personally, for example, enjoy graphic design. Not a good use of my time. The <laughs> ROI on that is low for me with my title, my seat, my function. Yep. 
What's the equivalent for you? Oh what do you enjoy? What's your guilty pleasure? What do you enjoy doing in the business, even though it's, you know, in theory, you should delegate it? So I was uh, talking to another operator recently, a good friend of mine has got a, a shop in Houston. And we were talking about what we still actually do. And I said, yeah, I still do renewals. And he's like, that's like the oddest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why are you doing renewals? And I thought to myself, well, I know why I do it because I want to set the new renewal rate and I just want to have a feel for who's doing or who's renewing and, and all that. And he's like, dude, that's not for you to be doing. And so I, I gave it, I gave it up. A, a virtual, a remote team member does it now. And, um, yeah, I, I still know what's going on because I see it, but I don't, I don't know why I was doing it. Um, I think where I am best fit, where I'm best used is, is, is outbound prospecting, seeking new business, being a hunter, um, being the, the face of, of, of acquisition, new doors. I don't want to get kind of caught up in that though, because I want the business to function without me, but because of me. So bringing the BDM, I'm trying to pass that on to him. He doesn't have a real estate background, but he's eager to learn and he is a hunter. So I think he's got the, uh, he's got the tools in the toolbox to do it. I've just got to give him some more confidence, more reps, but yeah, I was, I was doing renewals, man. I don't know why I was doing renewals, but I was all about doing the damn renewals. <laughs> so speaking of, some people have this concern that when they step out, when they start living the dream, yeah. delegating, yeah. having a GM, that they're not going to go, no, not going to know how to run the business. Yeah. I'll never forget a conversation I had with somebody that was telling me that there was theft in their business. Mm-hmm. One of their employees had stolen hard story. Yeah. But they kept going on about it, and I realized it was because the team member that had stolen still had a job there. And the reason that that person still had a job is because the owner felt that disempowered in not knowing how this person did their job. Therefore, they couldn't take the appropriate and obvious action. How do you think about being able to maintain a grip on the business to not make you entirely dependent upon one or two key people while also getting that step back that you're looking for long term? That's a big challenge. That is a big challenge. I, I developed the mindset years ago, and I've, I've talked several people through this as well as myself, that if someone can take a job from me and do it at 80% of what I can do, but they're 100% committed to it, and I no longer have to do it except for some oversight, I have to be comfortable with that. And there are times that that 80% is 90 and, and times that it's 70. But overall, if I no longer have to do it, if it's no longer on my plate um, and, and I'm getting most of what I could do, I'm totally good with that. Like I have no issue with letting things go. Um, you know, I've, I've got to be cognizant of the bottom line. And ultimately, as long as the deliverables are being delivered at the level that that I want them to be, um, I have no problem letting go. So that's that's not a challenge personally that I have. Uh, mine would be more staying engaged and, and, and just, you know, uh, driving the ship appropriately instead of just swooping into the office, making a few statements and leaving. I need to, I need to be more engaged. So that's delegation and mm-hmm. that's fantastic. That you have that disposition, but that's different than systems and process sure. systems and process means that you've done a good job delegating, but unfortunately something happens to that person. They yep. quit, get yep. hit by a bus, whatever. Yep. And you're able to put somebody else in that role with confidence instead of panicking. Yep. Do you have any vision around that function specifically? Yeah. So we've documented processes of course. And, um, the the issue with documenting processes is so it's so nuanced sometimes and, and it's dynamic. It's not static. I mean, it's not something that it's one and done. It's something that has to be constantly uh, added to and, and, and subtracted from. 
And I've got to get a little better on that as well. Like I said, we're going through that now with the loss of our maintenance coordinator. And unfortunately, he also did our periodic inspections. So he had just scheduled them for the following Monday on the week that this thing occurred. So, you know, we really had to, to scramble. And, and fortunately, I've got strong people that were able to jump in and help on that. Uh, that is definitely something that is still a work in progress for me and for us. We've got to get better on that. You know, the, the documentation of our systems, as well as constantly um, adjusting and, and, and constantly adjusting, you know, what we've got as far as here's, here's how to do this. Here's how to do that. And um, ideally you'd like to be able to think we could just take that one person out of this role and put somebody in and say, Hey, read this. And, you know, let me know if you have any questions and they should be able to execute it. But that in reality, that's not where we are yet. So that's one of the things I'm working on as well. Pause again. How are things going with, with lead simple? Have you used lead simple for the, any of the workflow stuff? Yes. Yes. Uh, what's the status of that? Because I feel like this this would that would be a segue and a fit for that specific need. So the maintenance coordinator was not tech savvy, you know. He was more you know hammer guy than than computer. So, but he did, and and when we implemented, he was like, "Hey man, this is going to really help me out." He was really engaged. Um, the VA and the property manager are using it at a really high level, and uh, we've had I had them build it out primarily with with your folks. And create the processes. And because they were so engaged with it, they have extreme ownership in it and they're working it. Um, one thing that I actually caught yesterday, an owner emailed me while I was in session yesterday and said, Hey, you know, what's the status? And I checked with the property manager. She's like, Oh yeah, we rented it last Friday. I'm like, okay, well add a step to notify the owner that <laughs> it's been rented. So they're not emailing me on Tuesday asking about something we did last Friday. So, and she, she said yes. And she, I'm sure she's already done it, but it's been a great fit, man. Good. Glad yeah. to hear that. Yeah. All right. So in terms of the priorities that you have over the next like 90 days, you come to an event like this, yeah. you're able to get a bunch of stuff, a bunch of takeaways. What's the one thing? Because I've seen you implement things and I've seen your orientation as a type A, you're a driver. Yeah. What's the one thing you're going to drive all the way home after having had some, some great sessions, great ideas over the last couple of days? So I've got to, I'm not, I don't know I've mentioned it already. I've got to get some clarity around maintenance. You know, I've got to figure out what I'm doing on that. And and I think that having uh, the, the maintenance coordinator, um, of, of course, you know, I'm not happy that he had the medical event that he had, but uh, probably came at a good time. It was a really hard thing for us to deal with, and it caused us to scramble quite a bit uh, in his absence. But it also gives me an opportunity to make a change that will be good for us long term. Um, the one thing, and I don't have a solid answer for how I'm going to solve this issue, but... I've got to solve maintenance. It is just, it's a huge bugaboo for us right now. I heard someone in uh, the mastermind yesterday uh, talk about, and I th found this to be really interesting. She's created um, KPIs around maintenance that they really focus on. And, you know, what you, what you focus on expands. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're not measuring it, you can't fix it. But uh, she's got a lot of KPIs around maintenance as far as, you know, length of time that work orders are open, uh, length of time for, for certain vendors, you know, responding. And I've got to put something like that in place. And I've also got to figure out, you know, whether I'm doing it in-house or uh, having a, a different vendor relationship. And I also need to monetize maintenance somehow. I mean, it, like I said, it's the last frontier on the uh, on the monetization of this business. And, and we're, we're giving away a lot of services. We do have a maintenance oversight fee for um, events that are over $1,500. I've never even actually charged it. And I've had opportunities to. 
that's something you need to have in your systems and process, put that in your workflow. Yeah. So the maintenance piece, I can make some introductions to have you talk to okay. folks on either side of that. But in terms of the, the way that you're thinking about it, it's really interesting hearing this pain. Let's talk through it. This is emblematic of something that a lot of folks in the industry deal with. Yep. If you think about what property management is, maintenance is at the heart of it. Yes. If we could take out maintenance, you know, honestly, there's like some DIY solutions that would be way more interesting. Right. There's computer softwares that do rent collection right. and, and a host of other basic functions, but maintenance is really sticky. When you think about the vendor options, what comes to mind for you? How are you navigating the category? What, what potential solutions in the, in the vendor realm are you considering? So like I said, my vendors have, a lot of them are like guys I used to work with on the police department, buddies. And, um, that, that personal relationship sometimes clouds the professional relationship. And I've yeah. got to, again, the biggest challenge in my business is me. I've got to get that out of the way. Um, it's funny, a little off track, but you just reminded me of something, you know, talking about some of those, uh, some of those clients we lost during the shift. One of them actually made a statement that I was just a glorified rent collector. Yeah. I let her go real quick. <laughs> But no, getting back to the maintenance thing, uh, one of the KPIs that uh, the other operator mentioned was um, they they take a look at negative reviews and what generates the most negative reviews. And from tenants, she was saying that it's maintenance and the mm-hmm. length of time for maintenance. So um, it is a huge thing. Look, again, I don't know exactly. I've got a lot of ideas right now from things I've heard over the last couple of days. They haven't really marinated fully within me yet. Um, if I had to pick a position on it right now, I'm leaning towards bringing it in house and hiring someone. I've got a lot of the, uh, a lot of the equipment and a lot of the, uh, I've got a, I've got a vehicle for this person. I've got a lot of the stuff. I just got to get a person in there. And I think having that person in house will, will allow some control over it. But also on the monetization side of it, I heard a great presentation yesterday. Um, on pricing for, for, uh, maintenance, you know, as far as hourly rate and, uh, hourly rate for the employee and just some, some metrics around that, that really got me thinking, I'm going to solve the maintenance thing. Well, I'm going to put a solution in place that works for now on the maintenance thing this year. Um, it's something that I know is not, again, not static. It's going to be dynamic. I mean, something could change next year, but I've got to get a handle on that issue. I trust you. Well, I appreciate you sharing your journey, brother. Amen. It's enjoyable to see where you're at and to get a snapshot on your business right now. We're going to stay connected and I want to yeah. check in later down the road. Yeah. Here's where I want to close with. Okay. What's one book that you've read over the last oh, couple of years that was really impactful for you? So I keep coming back to this book. I didn't read it over the last couple of years, but I do come back to it all the time. But it's a 10X rule by Grant Cardone. I mean, good Lord, dude. I, I We could spend another hour talking about that book. And it's a simple concept. Uh, but it's such an overlooked concept, you know, and, and just to give a, a short, you know, synopsis of it, people set their, their, uh, effort level to their expectation level. And that's the wrong approach. I mean, if, if, if you want, you know, if you want this, your expect, your expectation level has to be like way up there in the sky. I mean, you, you just, people underestimate what it's going to take to accomplish everything. And when I'd really, I've probably read that book five times and I've, I, I listen to it on audible all the time as well. But when I really got that concept, you know, I, I, I said to myself, wow, you know, I've got to really just set my effort level way beyond what, what I, what I expect to accomplish just to have a chance to hit what I'm going to accomplish. That has been, that's been transformational for me. And I, I, I share that book with people all the time and, 
you know, it, it's 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 interesting to see their response because I mean he he speaks you know uses some bad words and stuff like that, but he doesn't drive his point home. And you know, there's some people that don't believe in his his approach to life or whatever, but that book is just incredible. I love that share. I'm getting jacked just listening to you say that and thinking about personal application. You're absolutely right. Grant Cardone is not for everybody. And, you know, honestly, there's a lot of stuff that he says or does that is not for me. However, there's a lot that is. And you cannot deny the power of being hell-bent on a target and just committing that this is going to happen. I'm going to find a way. And that being the muse for the innovation, the creativity. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, man. So- I'm going to add one more, though. Please. The one thing. Gary Keller. Gary Keller. It's a classic. Yeah. If you haven't read it, you need to. Focus. Yeah. Love it. Yes, sir. All right, brother. We're going to leave it there. Yes, sir. Thanks for coming on. Until next time. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Hey, guys. Quick message on the Lead Simple front. We are hiring aggressively into a bunch of different roles right now. Head of customer success, finance and accounting manager, customer implementation pilots, customer success associates, software engineers, all over the place. So my question to you is, do you know somebody? Do you know somebody that might be interested or a fit for one of these roles? You can see the full scope at Lead Simple dot com forward slash careers head of customer success finance and accounting manager uh, are the ones that we are focused on the most right now but i'd love to have a conversation about any of these roles so if you have questions you can email me at jordan at leadsimple.com to understand the scope the depth and to know if anybody in your network might be a fit We are a live crew, highly competitive, a little bit nerdy, and we love to have a really good time along the way as we work. So if this sounds like a fit for somebody that you know, love to hear from them. Thanks, guys. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity. And wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me me an email, jordanatleadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.